0: So, so I want to help you understand, as a follower of God, as someone who wants to pursue God, how you can have a meaningful life. Uh, Jesus knows a meaningful life is important. So in John 10.10, 10, Jesus says this, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. In other words, one of the main reasons that Jesus came to the earth is so you and I can have a full life, so that we can have a meaningful life. The question is, are you now currently experiencing this meaningful life? And if you aren't, I want to show you some ways that you can. All right? We we want to help in this. And so at Alpine, we talk about three things that lead to a life of purpose, that lead to a life of meaning, and first of all, it's about relationship. It starts with trusting Jesus. That's how it begins, and we're going to talk about that. And then after you trust Jesus, you're going to move to phase number two, and that means I'm going to learn to honor God with my life. And again, we're going to explain some details about that. And then number three, it always involves ultimately helping people. You know, when Jesus was questioned, they said to Jesus, hey, what is the great commandment? Of all the hundreds of commandments, what's the great commandment? And and Jesus didn't hesitate. He He said, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Doesn't hesitate. Then he says, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Now if you think of the 10 commandments, we learned a few weeks ago that the 10 commandments are broken into two groups. The first four are how to love God, and the second six are how to love people. And so if you want a meaningful life, it's about people. Now I did a funeral yesterday And so this is really fresh on my mind. And in the memorial service, nobody talked about what a great business person this guy was. And they had like seven people share. Nobody said how much money he had, how many cars he had, how big his home was. Every single person reflected on the quality of relationship they had. How is your relationship with God? How is your relationship with others? I want you to do an assessment. Because really at Alpine, we want you to have a meaningful life. We want you to have a life of purpose. So here's what, where it starts. If you make a decision to, to, to pursue God, you will find him. All right, let me say it again. If you make a decision to pursue God, you will find him. Now this is really powerful and it's really important because God wants to be found. Now, let me see if I can illustrate this to you, all right? So if you are a parent or you've been a parent, I'm gonna give you this word picture and you're gonna get it right away. How do you feel when you're in a supermarket or you're on the playground and you turn around and your child is missing? They're lost, right? There's instant panic, right? Just absolutely instant panic. But My daughter, who's now an adult, she still kind of jokes with my wife about one time my wife forgot to pick her up at the bus stop, and she still hounds her, yeah, Mom, yeah, you you left me, right? But, But, right, you know that feeling, like they're lost, you go into full panic mode, you go into full adrenaline mode, you look through the store, you run down the aisles, you go by the swing set in the park, you do whatever it takes, why? Because... You don't want to lose this precious one you love. Well, God loves us. And the Bible says that we can get lost. And so God is the great pursuer of you. So I really want you to hear this. God has been pursuing you. And God is looking for you. And God wants to find you. Watch this. Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man, we're talking about Jesus here, came to seek and to save those who are lost. The whole reason Jesus leaves the comfort of heaven, comes to the earth, is because we're lost. We're spiritually lost. And this breaks God's heart. So he sends Jesus on a rescue mission to find us. That's just a really critical thing, that Jesus is on a rescue mission. God has been called the hound of heaven. And by that it means that God is still searching and he's still looking for you. Some of you are distant from God. Some of you don't know if you want God. Some of you are in rebellion to God. But God is this persistent hound of heaven. That says, I want to know you, I want to love you, I want to forgive you. I really want to give you that meaningful life that only I can give. But the question is, will we trust him? Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. God is applying this principle to his people back then. But I also think there's a larger principle that this is the heart of God the Father for you. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. "they are plans for good and not disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen to you. So God starts off, listen, I got great plans for you. I want to give you a future. I want to give you hope. Here's the thing. See, usually we turn it the other way around. God, I have some big plans, and I want you to bless them. See, I've gotten to God many times. Hey, God, I got it. Here's the plan for my life. I just need you to bless it. Right? You ever done that? Sure you have. You're in the church. You can't lie here. You're like me. You've done that. You say, God, bless my plan. He doesn't. But we still try it. So we're either going to trust God's plan for our lives or our plan. But here's what God says. I really got a good plan for your life. For in those days when you pray, I'll listen to you. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. So watch this. On one hand, God's looking for you. On the other hand, he wants you looking for him. So let me say this about God. He's terrible at hide and seek. Right? God's terrible because he wants to be found. He wants to be found. My, my daughter Hannah when she was little, she didn't want to hide, she wanted to be found. My, my, my other boys, they'd run and hide really well. My, my daughter got scared when she hid. So she, Dad, I'm right here. Right? God wants to be found. He's not good at hide and seek. So watch this. On one level, the Bible's very clear. Before you ever pursued God, he pursued you. Before you ever loved God, he loved you. The Bible's really clear about that. But God also says, now, because I'm pursuing you, this is a relationship. I want you to pursue me. And when you find me, I'll listen to you. I'll listen to how you're doing. I'll listen to how your heart's broken. I'll listen to when you're struggling. I'll listen to when you're happy. I will listen to you if you look for me. Now here's the condition with your whole heart. See, a lot of us think we can approach God with part of our heart. Well, God, I I have a heart for you, but I have a heart for the things of the world. God, I have a heart for you, but I have a heart for these habits of mine that I don't want to really let go of even though I know they're destructive. God says, no, 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 no. That's not how a good relationship works. Half-hearted relationships don't work. If you're going to pursue me, it's got to be with your whole heart. His purpose was for the nations, Acts tells us in Acts seventeen twenty-seven, His purpose is for the nations to seek after God. The purpose for this nation, America, is to seek after God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him, though he's not far away from any one of us. Do you know God's not that far away from you? He's just waiting for the call. He's just waiting for the praise. He's just waiting for the cry. He's just waiting. Because this thing with God, it's a two-way relationship. God starts it, God initiates it. As you'll see, God makes it work. But are you a willing participant? Do you get up in the morning and say, God, I want to talk to you? Do you get up in the morning and say, God, I want to read your word so I can hear what you want to say to me? It's a two-way relationship. See, we start a relationship with God by trusting Jesus. This is a profound thing. See, the the real issue, this this is powerful stuff, is you and I can't really have a relationship with God on our own. We really can't. Because the Bible says we all have a disease, and the disease is called sin. Now, sin literally means in the Bible to miss the mark. In other words, we we miss the mark of how God wants us to live. The scripture tells us that God says go right, and we like sheep have gone astray, and we decide to go left. One of my favorite definitions of sin is that we trust our own ideas, our own opinions, our own feelings instead of God's. But the most simple definition of sin is selfishness. And the Bible says we're all selfish. We all struggle with making life about us. And that sin, now this is a horrible disease, this thing called sin. It's actually a deadly disease. Now now the world is consumed right now with this virus that is spreading that has a pandemic potential to do great harm. But every person who is born is born with this sin-selfishness disease that I'm talking about. And the tragedy is, and the fear is, that there's no antidote. In other words, you can't come up with an antidote, and I can't come up with an antidote. There isn't a human remedy. The only remedy is Jesus. Now... This disease is so deadly, it leads to death. It leads to separation from God. Not only in this life, potentially in the life to come. That is a serious disease. And so what God says is, you know what? I don't want to be separated from my people. I love them. So listen, you know, right, at the end of the line, you're here because God wants you here. You know that, I hope, right? Right? Your your parents might have birthed you, but God created you. He created you to love you and to give you a meaningful plan in your life. But this selfishness, disease gets in the way, separates us from God. So God says, I love him too much to let this relationship be fractured. So I'm going to send Jesus. He's going to come to the cross. He's going to pay for every sin, every blemish, every stain they've ever had. So we're made right with God by Jesus. It's a profound thing. We're made right with God, Paul tells the Romans, by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. So, so when I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin and my shame and my guilt, that's what he's talking about. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. That's why God is so kind. It doesn't matter if you're known or unknown. He gives us offer of Jesus. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, highly educated, undereducated, it doesn't matter. There's a level playing field at the cross. Jesus offers this gift. And so that's how you start in this relationship with God. So I just want to be clear, maybe that's where some of you need to start. Now, Jesus, here's the good news, is the only antidote, but he is the antidote for our disease. When Jesus goes to the cross, he pays for our sin, he pays for our penalty, so now we're made right with God. Now the Bible says, that's so interesting to me, the Bible says Jesus is the great physician. So Jesus has office hours, all right? He's also called the great healer. And Jesus, the great physician, is waiting for some of you right now. I just checked, the office is available. And you can start this meaningful life with Jesus right now. So that's the first step in going full circle. The second is this. And as Christian, we we live to honor God. So I'm mentoring this really wonderful guy. And we were talking a few weeks ago. And he said to me, what does it mean to honor God? And I said, that's a super good question. He says, because I'm kind of stuck in my faith. Do you know that most people are stuck in their faith? They do this study, fascinating study. A half a million Christians, they do this study, they find 70% say they're spiritually stuck. In other words, they're not closer to Jesus this year than they were last year. They don't sense the joy, they don't sense the love, they're stuck. So if it's 70%, that would mean this room, there's a bunch of stuck people spiritually. So the question is, how to get unstuck? I think one of the ways to get unstuck is to learn how to honor God. So I I told my friend, I said, do you want to know what it means to honor God? He said, yeah. I said, let me me share this with you. One thing it means is to learn how to worship God. To be a worshiping follower of Jesus. Uh, That's what we're doing here. We're worshiping God. Now the word worship means to bow down. It means to lift up. So when we come to worship, most Americans get worship totally backwards. Most Americans think you go to worship to get something. I come here to get insight. I come here to get healing. That is a byproduct of worship, but that's not the goal of worship. Worship is not for us. Worship is for God. Worship's when we bow down We look up and say, God, you are great, and you are mighty, and you are awesome, and there's no one like you, and God, I'm going to praise you today, and I'm going to sing to you today, and God, you're going to share your word with me, and because you're so great and mighty in my life, I'm going to listen to your word, and I'm going to apply it as an act of worship to you. You see, we've got it backwards. The only audience in worship is not us. It's God. We're to be the participants to praise God, to pray to God, as we'll do today, to take communion. Most people don't know that. They don't understand that. Worship's for God and to God and through God. Now watch this verse. So the Apostle Paul writes to the Ephesians, he says, since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him and." Chapter 4, verse 21 through 24, he goes, throw off all your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and dissension. He's using this word picture of old, ratty, filthy clothes. You know those clothes that you maybe paint in, work on the car in? Does anybody here have clothes like that? You know you have clothes like that. All right? He goes on, instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes, put on a new set of clothes, a new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So here's how it happens. Jesus comes into my life. He makes me right with God. When Jesus comes into my life, he brings the Holy Spirit, his partner with him. So now I get the power of God and the peace of God. I now become a new person. I take off the old clothes of my old life when I was lusting, lying, cheating, doing whatever, and I put on new clothes, right? My my wife told me I need some new clothes because I always wear the same clothes. Like I put a suit on yesterday, she about fainted, right? She's used to Levi's. I'm a Levi guy, right? (laughs) Right? Yeah, and she says, man, I forgot what you look like in a suit. She didn't say it that high. My voice isn't working. That's why it sounded that high. (laughs) Are you still living the old you, even though Jesus has made you a new you? That happens to a lot of Christians. That old you is supposed to be dead. And the new you, you know how you live the new you? You start to learn to honor God. You start putting the focus of your life not on you, on him. You bow down to him. Because the second part is you're not only worshiping God, but watch this, now you're starting to serve God. Do you know there are some things we'll do in this life we'll never do again when we get to heaven. But there are some things we're going to do in this life that are preparation for heaven. One of those is serving. So I said to my friend I was mentoring, I said, is there any area of your life where you are serving the Lord? He said, no. Do you know that about 70, 80% of Christians, people who claim to love Jesus, aren't serving the Lord. Now, we all love to quote this verse. Well done, Jesus says, right? Good and faithful what? Servant, let's say you meet Jesus in heaven and he says, yeah, why should I let you into heaven? Uh, Do you know how to serve? Well, no, Jesus, I came up here so you could teach me. Really? See, because here's what I know. We serve who we love, right? You serve your kids because you love them. You serve your spouse because you love them. You serve your friend because you love them. You want to start getting out of the rut in your life? Start with worshiping God. Start with serving God. Right? You got got to change. Listen to this in Hebrews. This is powerful. Hebrews 10, 25. And let us not neglect our meeting together. In other words, having a church service, as some people do. Oh, so they have the same problem we have. See, I've had people tell me, Dave, I take the summer off from God because all I need is Jesus there's this really popular movement that all I need is Jesus. Well, let's talk about the Jesus, the real Jesus of the Bible. The real Jesus of the Bible says, the church, all of us are his, and he is the head and we are the body. So saying, all I need is Jesus is acting like you can just live with your head and the body is cut off. That's funny, right? That, that's really funny. That's not gonna work. Jesus never separates him from his church. It's one body. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Here's what he's saying. Here's another reason. The number one reason you go to church is for God, not for you. Now, when you go to church for God and you worship God and you praise God, don't worry, God's going to give you a benefit. But, but that's not the reason you go. But the number two reason you go to church still isn't for you. Listen, I come to church every week. I've been doing it probably for decades. And I pray this prayer. God, who can I minister to today? Who can I encourage today? Who's standing by themselves that I can go make them feel welcome? Who do I think needs encouragement? Who just needs somebody to listen to? I sincerely come to church every time. I'm not including that I'm a teacher of God's word. I'm talking that people matter to God. And because they matter to God, they should matter to me. So every week when I come, every service that I teach, I come and say, God, is there a person here you want me to encourage? Because that's what he says to do. So watch this. So I want to encourage you. If you want to get out of the rut in your spiritual life, you got to make worship every weekend. And when you're out of town, I want to tell you this most amazing thing. This is incredible. There's there's churches there. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Like they have churches all over our country. I know. Incredible, right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because one miss service moves into two, two moves into three. Pretty soon you haven't gone in a month. See, in the third area of honoring God, it's not just I need to be a worshiping follower, I'm, it's not just I need to serve. You know what? I told my friend, I said, I'm gonna take you through the pursuit, these Pursue God resources. And after 12 weeks of us meeting, I'm going to have you link to another man so you can help him grow. He says, that sounds great. Listen, we always need people that love children. Jesus said, don't keep the kids from coming. You can work in children's church. You can work in fusion. Listen, my heroes are people that get involved in fusion. Junior high and high school students, I don't know how it's going to go in heaven. I think you get an extra something, right? Because you parents, you don't want them. Don't, I know, I know. The third is being generous. Do you know God's so generous? James says in the book of James, every good and perfect gift is from above. Well, let's think about that for a minute. So every good thing that's ever happened in your life first came out of the hands of God. So you're wearing clothes today. That's a gift from God. Some of you, I get it, you, you, you don't really understand fashion. That's okay. You, you drove a car to get here, or rode a bike. You have a house to live in. You have a job. You have friends. You have air to breathe. Every good gift first comes from God. So God is generous at heart. And so because God's generous at heart, he wants us to be generous. Now watch this. God doesn't need a thing. I'm going to give you a little brief theology lesson. God is what the Bible calls self-sufficient. In other words, God never has had a need. He will never have a need. So God doesn't say that we should give to him because he's needy. And it'll somehow fill a void. God wants us to learn to be generous because he's generous. That's why Jesus says it's better to give than receive. Why? Because it imitates God. And God says, you want a meaningful life? Be a giver. Be generous in your life. Are you a generous person? Do you give God your time? Do you give God your money? Do you give God your abilities? Or are you a stingy, selfish person? No wonder you're stuck. Listen, I'm going to tell you something about selfish people. They end up miserable people. They end up lonely people. They end up critical people. But you show me a giving person. I'll show you a person with joy. I'll show you a person with a good attitude. It's just the way it works. So it starts with trusting Jesus, right? Then we learn to honor God. And then we mature as disciples by helping other people pursue God. You will mature in your faith when you get in the game. Like, like I know this, like kids church workers today, they're maturing because they're looking at material so they'll be a good teacher. High school, junior high people that work in fusion, you grow more as the mentor than you do the person being mentored. I love preparation for the word of God. My favorite thing actually isn't to teach the word of God. My favorite thing is to prepare a message because I get to learn so much about God, right? And I want to help you pursue God. Our great obsession at Alpine is to help people pursue God. And you're probably here because someone helped you. Now watch this. And God wants you to help someone else. He just does. Now I want to ask you a question. What's the greatest thing you've ever done in your life? I mean, A big thing. Like, have any of you ran a marathon? Go ahead, raise your hand, because I want to brag on you. One, two, just this side of the room, okay? (laughs) Now, my question is, why? (laughs) Why? Cars. That's why we have cars. (laughs) I mean, I'm not 26 miles. I'll do that today. I'll feel great. I'm going to go 26 miles in my car, get some food, watch the Super Bowl. (laughs) Right? No, that's a great thing. I want to commend you. That is a great thing I'll never do. So, but maybe you develop, you know, like the guy who makes penicillin, right? Changes the world. Bill Gates changes the world. But I'm going to tell you the number one thing. God wants you to do in life. And you're going to be surprised. I'm just going to be honest. It's to learn how to fish. I knew, I knew you'd be surprised. Now, I'm going to be vulnerable, especially to the men. <coughs> Listen, I, no one taught me how to fish. So when my kids got older, I thought I got to teach them how to fish. All right. Now, I got to admit this. I'm going to lose all my manhood in this story. So I take my boys, they're little, take them to the dock. I want to teach them to fish. There's a couple of, uh, three or four guys at the cabin next to us. And I put on some gloves, right? Because I don't want to touch these slimy things. <laughs> I told you I'm losing my manhood right here. I really got the gloves on. I did it, and the fish are only this big, right? The guys at the cabin next door are just looking at me like this. Now, it's no surprise, I do love fishing, though, that my boys don't love fishing. Because I'm a wuss at fishing. Now, I don't wear those small gloves anymore, you know, because fish are bigger. I got bigger gloves now. But, no, not really. I make someone else take it off the hook. But, what if I told you the greatest thing you'll ever do in your life is fish? This is directly from the mouth of Jesus. Matthew 4, 1920, Jesus called out to them, come follow me and I will show you how to what? Fish for people. And they left their nets and followed him. Remember, probably half the disciples are fishermen. They're professional, which means their father were fishermen, their, their grandpa was a fisherman, Their great. You passed your skill set down to your son. So Jesus uses the word picture. Listen, the greatest thing you can do in your life, guys isn't catching fish. It's catching people. That's the greatest thing you and I can ever do. Now I want to say this. That might be scary to you. That might be threatening to you. But we have phenomenal resources to help you. And so I want to show you a video. But I want to share one other thing. Because this is how you fish, That's right. right? First Thessalonians 2.8. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. I remember when I was learning Greek in seminary, this is one of the first verses we did. And I, this is one of my favorite verses. See, sharing the gospel with people, helping people pursue God is done with our lips and done with our lives. It's done with both. So we got to love people well, care for people well, and in the process, we can tell them about Jesus. Now let's take a look at the screen, all right? So we have this fantastic tool. So I want to talk to men for a minute. Men, I don't go up to some guy and say, hey, you want to watch a video with me? It's kind of (laughs) weird, right? I say, hey, you want to go to lunch? Because every man I know likes food, all right? Want to get a cup of coffee? And we start building a friendship. I kind of figure out his temperature a little bit and says, you know, he, he wants up my marriage or kids or his job. So we, I say, hey, can I just send you a cool video on that? And we just gently walk into one of these women. You can easily do this. And this is a phenomenal tool, all right? So we're, we're making it easy. We're making it easy to learn how to fish. And so I want to end this way. And here's what I want to pray about. Some of you are right at number one. I need to trust Jesus And maybe today's the day you trust Jesus. He's got a plan for your life. He's got a purpose for your life. And it will always be better than yours. Number two, maybe you say, you know what? I really need to learn how to honor God. So I'm going to make worship attendance a priority. I'm going to start serving God. I'm going to start giving to the Lord. Or number three, you're at the place where you say, you know what? I want someone to help me mentor someone or I want to get in a small group and I want to learn how that works. Wherever you are, we're here to help. You have a great lead pastor in Jeff. He's here to help. But take the next step. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much that you are such a loving father, such a gracious God, that you are the great pursuer of our hearts that you love us, you care for us, and you know that there's some people here today, right now, they need to respond to you. If you're that person, just trust in Jesus and his work on the cross. That's where the journey starts. That's the starting gate right there. Lord, I pray also for those who have been stuck a long time And the truth is, they're not really honoring you totally with their life. If that's you, just make your commitment to God. God, I'll join a small group. God, I'll join a serving team. God, I'll be consistent in my worship, attendance, and in my giving. But Lord, for all of us, ultimately, I pray we get to phase number three. So God, we're going to ask you to teach us how to fish. Teach us how to fish for people Using your tool, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.